0: Hello and welcome to The Lodgecast, a brand new
1: podcast brought to you by The Beaver Trust. I'm Sophie Pavel. And I'm Eva Bishop. Each month, we'll be bringing you the latest news from the Beaver Trust as we start to welcome beavers back to our rivers to restore our countryside and create resilient landscapes. Beyond Beavers, though,
0: we'll also explore the state of nature in the UK and speak to fascinating experts and individuals to tackle the more challenging conversations we are facing at the moment.
1: But don't worry, we'll mix it up with plenty of light-hearted fun as well. I have no doubt of that. So welcome to our first episode of the LodgeCast. Here we are. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, I know. I know.
0: And um, I mean, it's come around really quickly. How are you feeling?
1: I'm really looking forward to all the guests we've got lined up and to having this really open, honest discussion about conservation and our countryside and how we try and reverse this horrendous situation we've got in Britain.
0: (laughs) Right down into the nitty gritty. I have to say, though, that I am a little bit nervous about how many times we're going to be saying the word beaver with potentially a straight face and with potentially quite professional, clever people involved. (laughs) We'll see how it goes. anyway to start the series we are going to be chatting about the river otter beaver trial which you may have seen in the news recently and later in the episode we'll be joined by the fantastic
1: springwatch researcher and naturalist and friend jack baddams But first, we need to talk about beavers, because we are the Beaver Trust, after all. We are. They are such incredible ecosystem engineers, and they're amazingly well-adapted to do what they do best, which is build dams and create biodiverse, bioabundant wetlands. So we're going to start each episode of this series with our favourite awesome beavery fact of the month. A
0: fact-off, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: So as it's our
0: first episode, I thought I would treat you, Eva, to possibly my favourite fact from the Natural world ever go on it's to do with beavers shock um but it's to do with their teeth so uh beavers have orange teeth and when i say orange i mean skin of the orange orange they are bright you can see them from like 100 meters away they are mad um but they serve a very unique purpose so we know that beavers are ecosystem engineers they build lodges they build dams they chew hardwood all day they basically just nor everything in sight. Um, so they need their teeth to be really, really strong. So nature has very kindly impregnated their teeth with iron to help them withstand all of this munching away on hardwood. And so, that's what
1: makes them a bright orange. That is what makes them bright orange. I know. That's pretty good. But I have another fact to offer for this first episode, which is the most, the one that stunned me the most when I was reading about beavers. And that is that their beaver wetlands store three times more carbon than a beaver meadow that used to have beavers there, which is amazing and pretty important these days, right? That is annoyingly amazing. Yes.
0: Because I guess it's sort of performs a bit more of an ecosystem service to us than teeth do. However, why don't we let you, the lovely listeners, decide? So this is our first fact-off, but we want you to decide who wins the fact-off between me and Eva. So is it going to be teeth or is it going to be the wetlands?
1: Let us know on our social media channels at Beaver Trust. And by the end of the series, we'll tally the fact-off wins and be able to prove who is the fact queen. Game on.
0: (laughs) Okay right let's get down to it Uh, because beavers have had pretty good press recently as down on a quiet river in Devon near where I live funnily enough uh, it's called the River Otter there has been a massive massive win for beavers of late as on the 6th of August in 2020 the government announced the news that the wild beavers that were living here on the River Otter will finally be allowed to stay and be granted freedom indefinitely which is pretty amazing given the beaver's story. So these beavers were here as part of a five-year trial run by Devon Wildlife Trust, Exeter University and Clinton Devon Estates who monitored their population, their impacts on the river environment, the surrounding agriculture and basically did a whole load of amazing science to try and figure out whether it might be possible for beavers and humans
1: to coexist once again. And the reason this is really fundamentally exciting is that this is the main government test on wild population impacts and it's the gateway to letting the species back across Britain, right? I love a gateway. <laughs> <laughs> I love the gateway. Great word. It's uh, really exciting. It's it's a a real turning point.
0: So what's amazing about the beavers is that unlike a lot of animals here in the UK is that it's kind of a a real-time fairy tale in a way um for want of a better word of tyranny of loss of potential of hope um that we are kind of very much a part of that story as beavers were here once upon a time 400 years ago and they were a really significant part of our landscape way back through into the ice age and then suddenly they weren't um and they haven't been for 400 years and then now we're kind of on the cusp of them potentially coming back and there's this great big conservation conversation <laughs> chatter about it. Impressed you got that out. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, so, so I mean, yeah, they were they were hunted massively to extinction, weren't they?
1: What were they hunted for again? It's their meat, their perfume, castorium, castorium, yeah, and their pelts. Yeah,
0: so castorium is from the anal glands
1: pretty scent, sure scent
0: glands they use it to mark they use castorium to mark their territories because yeah. beavers are quite territorial which i think people forget they can actually be quite vicious as and
1: cuddly as they seem one of the things i think is really important to discuss actually is the fact that we think hunting to extinction it's this big taboo thing and oh my god aren't we humans awful but back then 400 years ago it was probably more essential to yeah. for, for existence yeah. and so i think it, it's important to recognise that we need to live alongside nature much more carefully, um, but also not to stigmatise what happened back then.
0: Totally. And I mean, there's no point kind of lamenting what was done in the past because it's gone. But we have a real opportunity here to shape how we approach nature and conservation today. And our world has changed so much since 400 years ago. Um, We've had the biggest revolutions in terms of industry and agriculture and tech that we will probably ever have in the human race. And so to try and uh, allow the second biggest rodent in the world to make a smooth entry into this new
1: society is, of course, that's going to cause a bit of ruffle a few feathers, maybe. It is. But what it's the real story of hope and excitement is that it can help reverse our basically seeing... river systems as a big drainage system rather than our life support system and the Mm -hmm. beavers in creating dams storing water and holding that and creating diverse habitats is going to reverse the damage we've done to our riverscapes and that for me is one of the only true stories of hope in this sort of climate and ecological crisis at the moment.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's no, if you, if you tried to come up with, if you gave a human engineer a project to say, right, come up with one thing that stores carbon, that helps create wetlands, that helps promote biodiversity, that reduces the effects of flooding and drought and improves people's physical and mental connection with the natural world. And
1: improves water quality.
0: And improves water quality. I mean, that's impossible, right?
1: We're constantly giving engineers the challenge of trying to solve our river problems. We've got 14% of our rivers at, with good ecological status. That's pretty poor. Mm. And it has a long way to go. And beavers can be a really important part of that solution.
0: Yeah. And so I think it is. I think it is. And I think it's really important to say that the beavers aren't being proposed as a silver bullet. They're not a one thing solves all. They are just an ally in our fight against this great big scary climate change. And I mean, we're a bit biased because we think it's just an absolute no-brainer and they don't need to be a part of this great big conversation. They just need to be in the land starting work.
1: And let alone to do their thing.
0: And let alone to do their thing. And I think we should maybe go back to the River Otter here because it's a really interesting story as to how they got there. Um, So back in 2014, a group of wild beavers were discovered on this farm upstream from Otterton, which is the main village near where the beavers are in their catchment at the moment. And the government um i guess saw them as this sort of threat i suppose because it's they're change. A big rodent. it's we change we can't do change we hate to- <laughs> i personally hate change i i can't deal with it <laughs> um but the beavers are helping me get through it <laughs> and, and so the government were like oh my god massive rodent what do we do let's just remove it and the community were like well hang on a sec we're okay with them and we actually really like them and we can see that they're doing cool things and actually in britain it's quite nice to have a big fluffy charismatic mammal to look at because on the whole we don't we tend to look to you know other countries for the big sexy interesting wildlife sometimes controversial anyway so the government was like okay well we can see that you like them so let's make a thing of it so they contacted devon wildlife trust Exeter university said here's some money raise a bit of your own as well you've got five years come up with some evidence, make it science-y, off you go.
1: And it's such a success story from Devon Wildlife Trust's engagement with the local community, because for these creatures to be really welcomed back into our landscape, they need to be understood, and they need to be welcomed, and they need to be managed um, where issues arise. And they've done a fantastic job on that. Um, Living by the otter, as you do, have you seen some of the ecosystem and tourism benefits?
0: I have, yes. And um, actually, one of the one of the best ones that I've seen recently was, I don't know if you remember back in February, we had, I think it was on record, the wettest February yeah. like ever. Like it just did not stop raining. It was relentless and it was just everything and everybody was just wet for <laughs> whole month. And... Um, and I remember going down to the Otter and the river was completely swollen. It was spilling over into the farmland. It was really angry. It was really high. But for the first time in a really long time, so Otterton almost floods on an annual basis and Otterton Mill, which is a big hub of tourism for the village and for that area because it's a working mill. It's really old. It's got an amazing cafe, amazing cream tea, by <laughs> the way. <laughs> <Top> <laughs> really, tip. really good. Top tip. Um, it didn't flood and it's been decimated for several years from devastating floods but this year was the first time that in an extreme period of prolonged rainfall it did not flood and I can't help but wonder and this hasn't been I guess numerically proven yet but you can't help but wonder whether the series of established dams up the river slowing the peak flow rate of water has prevented an extreme damaging flooding event and as as a result protected the community but also allowed the beavers to still stay and do what they need
1: to do that is amazing that must have been pretty well received by the community i think so and then we went from the wettest february to one of the driest May's. yeah and our one of our colleagues chris who farms down in cornwall found that he could still use the water from the beaver ponds to irrigate his organic farm yeah that is pretty exciting yeah because we're going to see these extremes more and more Mm -hmm. more Mm -hmm. pronounced
0: yeah Thank
1: think, goodness for beavers. Yeah, always,
0: always grateful for
1: the beavers. I think
0: it's really important when you were talking about the community aspect because there are just so many more people in the world at the moment. And I think bringing any large, previously native animal back we're going to have to take into account people's stories and people's feelings and thoughts about it because it's naturally probably going to affect them because there's just not that much space, especially down here. Like on the River Otter, you've got an intensively managed area of farmland right next to the path, which is one of the busiest paths in Devon, right next to the river. And there's only a tiny bit of scrubby buffer between where the beavers are doing their stuff and where the humans walk and where the tractors plough the fields. So to prioritise chat and conversation between the public and the different stakeholders is vital to a success story here and i think that's again what why the river otter did so well or the trial did so well
1: so we've been talking about the river otter it'd be great to bring in our guest jack baddams who saw his first wild beaver on the river otter so exciting
0: uh yes so jack baddams welcome to the podcast.
2: Hello, thanks for having me.
0: Lovely to see you. So we have been chatting, as Eva said, about
1: the river otter beavers. And just to be clear, these otter beavers aren't some mutant (laughs) tyrannical (laughs) species. They are beavers on the river otter. (laughs) Good to know, good to know.
0: And these were, if I remember correctly, and I may have pointed you in the right direction in terms of location, the first beavers that you've seen in the wild, which you saw really recently. Some may even say that you lost your beaver-genity.
2: Yes, I did. Um,
0: so tell us, what was it like?
2: It was incredible. And uh, yeah, like you say, you, you kind of pointed me in the right direction. Um, I've known about these these beavers for a while, but I've recently kind of moved down south, so I'm much closer to them now. And I don't. beavers are always something that, I suppose I'd wanted to see as they are for most kind of zoologists and people who are interested in nature because these they're these absolutely wacky animals but you always think or I had always thought that my first encounter with a wild beaver would be you think Finland Alaska yeah. it would be in this incredibly wild place and um, the more I learned about the fact that they were you know living in Devon the, the more I wanted to go and see them and yeah you pointed me in the direction of the right spot and It's quite unbelievable, really, when you get there and you you park next to this place that sells ice cream and you walk over a little bridge and it's all very quaint and it's very English and very Southern (laughs) County. Yeah, painfully English. (laughs) And I mean, when we got there, you walk, it's what, 10, 15 minutes from the car and there are these three pensioners sat on... um, fold-out chairs just sat there oh that's the beaver
0: patrol team yeah Yeah. they're (laughs) just
2: waiting for it i'm like this is so far away from what i thought my first experience of you know i thought i would have hacked through the scandinavian (laughs) wilderness to get to this remote lock with like low-lying mist and all this stuff and all i've done is pull up in a car park and had an ice cream and walked 10 minutes down the river and yeah stood there and waited at the spot that you said and that's the other thing as well is as you're walking down this this very quaint very english river like so many rivers i've walked past before and you see that the the stumps and the chewed logs and it just takes a while to compute and and, and lodge these things that you're seeing oh very good into uh, <laughs> <I> dare, subconscious <laughs> uh, into this landscape and then you you kind of don't believe that it's real until you actually see them because yeah. you it, you know it's a chewed log and you, it doesn't seem right but then you sit there and you wait long enough and these animals come out and and it's it's just it's bizarre but brilliant at the same time
0: it's just amazing and I think like we'd had like a period of chatting because I was telling you where to go and then I was sending you pictures of like oh look out for this stump it's a real iconic one and <laughs> it was all this kind of like building up the anticipation and then seeing your video on Instagram and it was like a bit shaky and <laughs> it, you know I think videos of like a novel encounter with an animal are never amazing in terms of production value, but I think it really captures how you're feeling. and I the feel the excitement. Yeah, I totally. love that you sort of
1: point to their exotic nature. You know, you don't expect to see this on a quaint little river. What is it that excites you most about beavers in Britain?
2: I think, I suppose for me, and, and the time period that I've lived through and it's been interested in wildlife, is is beavers have always been the kind of, they've been the kind of benchmark that I've, tracked our kind of, not rewilding, but our, our uh, ability and, and drive to to reestablish things and, yeah. and bring stuff back. Because beavers, when I was younger and I was first getting into nature or, or watching TV and stuff, beavers seemed so far away to me. They seemed like the fact that we could have wild beavers in England, in Scotland, seemed so far away. And the fact that in my lifetime, I've been able to now go and see a couple of months ago, a wild one in England is, I suppose it speaks about a a kind of broader, uh, and now we've got white-tailed eagles being reintroduced in the Isle of Wight and stuff like that. And beavers, I think really encapsulate that, that, that drive to, to bring stuff like that back. So I think that's, that's really what beavers mean to me. They seemed so impossible
1: Mm.
2: not that long ago. And here they are. And now, you know, there's en- uh, enclosure projects popping up all over. And who knows what the future is going to be for, for for wild beavers in England, Wales, Scotland, whatever.
1: There's a bit of a resurgence, isn't there, of yeah. nature restoration and hope. And, and you're a really keen naturalist. Um, and beavers are this potentially fantastic way to boost biodiversity. I'd love to hear from you what your um key facts might be that instantly demonstrate just how bad the wildlife biodiversity situation is in Britain and you know how we need why it is that we need beavers so urgently
2: yeah i mean there's so many facts there's the there's one that we've lost god knows how many millions of songbirds since the 70s but i think i think the thing that strikes me most is when you talk to people when you talk to people that lived You know that lived a generation ago, and they tell you about what their normal was, and it's not their normal in extraordinary places. It's their normal in their garden, or it's their normal in a walk down a down a field. You talk to, or or you read books that are just someone's description of what the the biomass, the biodiversity was like around their area in the nineteen twenties or whatever, and it's just filled with birds my particular kind of interest is birds so that I kind of always gravitate towards those and I think about where I was growing up in relatively rural Derbyshire a cuckoo was something that I have always had to kind of travel and make an effort to see but I know from talking to people not that long ago uh, that were you know living there not that long ago that it was just a bird that you would turn up in your garden yeah. and that's the kind of thing that really drives home to me the the severe loss of nature that we've had particularly in the last generation it's like we've seen it or, or people older than me have seen it falling apart and they can they can tell what it was like and then you think back what it would have been like even further mm.
0: um you get a glimpse and it's the kind of classic anecdote of when people say oh i used to have Bug smid on my windscreen all the time, all yeah, summer. Classic, isn't and it? it's like, oh, if I have like a few, I'm like, oh, yeah. the insects are doing better, yay! Well, they were, well, well, they they were. were. <laughs> exactly, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs>
2: but that's, I mean, that's a really good example because I remember that vividly, like going on camping trips, like wherever, and just the amount of insects that yeah. you'd have in your car, and that was must have been when I was
0: like... even in our lifetime, though.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's I mean, the you're thing. not old. No, twenty seven. <laughs> so like, there's that that has changed a lot.
0: Yeah, it's sad, and um, uh, so. You said you're a keen birder. Well, you said you like birds. Yeah, a lot. Um, (laughs) A lot. Uh, Tell us about your ringing experiences and kind of maybe this summer and any highlights that you've had so far.
2: Um, Well, I mean, I've been doing the ringing for a very long time. So um, I suppose for anyone who doesn't know, the ringing is catching and tagging birds with little metal rings that are individually numbered so we, we can you know, track where they go and how old they are and all this stuff. And I got involved with that when I was 16, 17, because um, it takes a long time to learn how to do it properly, to make sure it's safe uh, for the birds that you're doing it. Um, this year has been a bit of a, a, little bit of a write-off, but something that I do um, when I get a chance to kind of go back up north is I have a project on spotted flycatchers, which are one of my favourite birds. And mm-hmm. uh, and if you're not, they're kind of rare amongst birding circles because they're a little brown job with a terrible song. It's awful that everybody that is universally loved. But if you put it in front of somebody who you're trying to convert to the kind of, you know, church of ornithology or whatever, <laughs> it's just boring. It's a, it's a very boring looking bird, but they're fantastic. And they they have these sub-Saharan African migrations. But they've another species, actually, that they're very similar to the cuckoo in that, over the last generation, we've seen their collapse and people can talk about the fact they used to have them in their gardens mm. and stuff like that. But very close to where my home home is, where I'm from, there's a population that's just hanging on in this intensively Arably, uh, arable farmland landscape. They're just hanging on in this little gorge. And my favourite the thing to do is to spend all day in this gorge looking for nests and mapping oh, out where they cool. are. And uh, and then if we find a nest, uh, ringing the chicks uh, and then putting nets up, catching the adults, quickly fitting them with colour rings so that we can ID them all. So all my spotted flycatchers have got names. Uh, and then when you see them come back the next year, you think there's a ring on that bird that I put on. And since I last saw that bird, it could have been sat in a tree with a leopard. And That's that that ring
1: cool. that
2: I put on has you know been baking in the African sun, <laughs> so while I and then it kind of puts into perspective what you've done over the winter period, which is <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not really very <clears> much. <Netflix>. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, the spotted flycatchers are are my favourite things to do with bird ringing. I mean, I've, I've done. I've been lucky enough to to ring all sorts of amazing things but the spotted flycatchers are my favorite
0: interestingly um so down at the cornwall beaver project which is run by chris one of my lineva's colleagues um he had spotted flycatchers either this summer or last summer down on the beaver wetland and he said that he hadn't had them he said they were there for about six days feeding before they went off again and he said he had never seen them at the farm before and it kind of puts i don't know Makes you question whether the beavers have facilitated an environment such that they feel safe there to feed whilst totally. they're on their epic migration. Yeah.
1: They've got eight new bird counts, haven't they? Yeah. Top bird and records at the mm-hmm. site. Brilliant.
2: Yeah. yeah. Really I exciting. mean, for spotted flycatchers, they like, they like. Trees that aren't too dense because they kind of sally out, they sit on a branch and then they fly out and then come back to the same branch. So they need space between trees to, to head out and catch the insects that they're after. Uh, and of course, the more water there is in general, the more insects you have. So spotted flycatchers are a species that will really benefit as, as beavers become more common throughout England.
1: Brilliant. So your passion and enthusiasm is palpable when you talk about spotted flycatchers. <laughs> One of the things we want to do with Beaver Trust is help encourage young people to connect with nature more. I mean, there's a huge drive for this across the board, which is fantastic and really needs to happen for all sorts of good reasons. Um, how was Firstly, was there some magic moment in childhood that converted you? Um, or was it some brilliant parental upbringing by throwing you outside every day? And, and secondly, how would you encourage uh, young people to get out and get involved in nature?
2: So... To, to start with, for me, there, there was no magic moment. There was so the the leg- the story amongst my family, <laughs> the legend is that <laughs>
1: the legend of Jack i is that, about to hear it first. Is that
2: bird? I don't know how true this is, but that the word bird was my first word. And I don't know if this is true or not. It's probably not. What? But what <laughs> so, what what certainly is true is that there was no. There was no, uh, you know, my parents couldn't identify a chaffinch and my grandparents didn't know. I've I've subsequently got my family into birds and uh, well into wildlife in general, really paying attention to it. So it, it was very organic. And my parents just you know, fair play to them because they just had this kid that was just fascinated with birds and wouldn't shut up about them. So they just kept feeding me bird books and just thought eventually... Oh, you say,
0: bird food? uh, (laughs) uh,
2: And eventually it's going to go away and it never did. But I think when it comes to then thinking about younger people in general, I think, and perhaps we're getting a little bit more away from it now, but I think it's always there. I think that interest is there. And I think it's... I don't know why it goes. And I, I don't know whether it's just the value and the stock that we put in other things, because we all know sitting around this table that there is still, when you're young, a stigma attached to mm, liking yeah, right. nature. And, you know, it was something that was kind of an open secret in my school that I could identify all the birds around the school playground by sound. But it was nothing that I ever spoke about because it was, you know. But it's it seems... kind
0: of like a superpower, though. Well, oh, it's amazing.
2: Yeah, it's yeah. really cool. Um, but it's not seen as cool by people oh, totally. who, like, no. you know quote-unquote normal things when you're in secondary school or whatever so i don't know why why it is that maybe that is the reason that we lose it over time um
1: i think a lot of people put weight on the sort of the amount of time you spend in nature yeah and children these days are spending less and less time in nature Certainly. so we need to help provide deficit. them yeah provide them with opportunities because to,
2: that curiosity you know. is there and i don't and i don't necessarily think that it's uh that nowadays it's a technology versus nature debate because I think there's so much cool technology out there that can help you explore nature as well. And I don't think it's necessarily a case that giving a child a phone means that they're not going to engage with nature because Mm -hmm. you know they could use that to explore nature. I remember the amount of time I sat in front of the TV watching David Attenborough or whatever. Um, That was time that spent getting me into nature. So I think it's just indulging children's and just letting them explore it and and
1: mm.
0: and not you know. making it something to fear yeah i think there's a big fear factor of oh don't get muddy or oh don't get in the water or oh, you better not yeah. get wet or yeah. oh metals sure
1: you... and brambles yeah, so. and it's just you don't know the answer to what a species is not saying oh well that, that little bug rather yeah. than what yeah, kind yeah, is it there's let's, you know, no so you investigation give the, yeah.
0: anymore it's just a brushing off as oh i don't know what it is so let's go That's and get my ice one. cream
1: Yeah, which is also fun, but I think you're. I
2: think think you're totally right about about the whole fear of nature, and I think you know we talk about the fact that we are getting more and more detached from nature. Our our young people, and I think we are. But I think you look back at you know I look at my parents' generation; they don't know loads about nature. Oh,
0: me too. Like this is detached.
2: This is yeah. This is not something that's new. This is something Mm. that's been happening for a long time, and that only gets worse each time you're bringing a new generation through, because like you say, they're terrified of nettles or brambles mm-hmm. or anything that, any small insect that flies. Mm. And then they just instill that into their child mm. and, and it just kind of compounds the whole issue. But I think within all children, I think that's there. I think that, that interest is there, there
1: to be encouraged. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And
2: however we do it it, it, it will always be there from being small and we've just got to nurture mm. it.
1: So true.
0: So, if you were going to encourage someone say someone came to you and was like, "Jack, I want to I want to lose my be virginity as well. I want to have the same experience as you. What advice would you give them to do so sensibly and safely?"
2: So, I think the 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 way I did it, I suppose, was very simple, very unobtrusive, um and I I think the I mean, it's quite hard, I think, to find a place where you can reliably see them. And those places are, are, are out there in the ether. You know, people, if you want to to find a beaver, you can find people who are saying <laughs> this is the place to go and find a beaver. And the reason that people go to see them at these places is because they're relatively easy to see. And the fact that the beavers haven't cleared off by now suggests that they're okay with it, that they're yeah. relatively uh, habituated to it. So, yeah, like I say, I, I can't think of a of a better experience that you could realistically have in terms of seeing your first beaver than the one I had, because it was like 10 metres away.
0: Mm. And And it's it's a wild one. And it's a
2: wild one, yeah. And it was so chilled out. It was just going about its normal day. And there was, you know, me and, I don't know, 10, 15 people stood on the path 10 metres away. And it never once felt like they were uh, under any stress. This is obviously something that they're used to. Yeah. Um, So I think just sticking to to those kind of places is, is... getting in touch with people in the know um who can point you as as to how to do it sensibly because they are in these very obvious places Mm. and there's no need to go traipsing through
0: no you don't you barely need binoculars either
2: no i mean the only reason i use the binoculars was to get the very shaky film that i put on instagram um but yeah you really don't need it at all they are literally 10 meters away
0: yeah and you can hear them as well you hear them before you see them. the noise is incredible no it sounds like a giant rabbit but it's
1: not it's it's a beaver (laughs) speaking of which one thing we were talking about earlier was some beaver facts and we had a bit of a fact off which you will have heard (laughs) we'd like to know which fact you think is you know outdoes the other is it those orange teeth or is it the carbon storage
2: I mean, orange is famously my favourite colour, but it's got to be carbon storage. Oh, come on, yes. come on! It's a climate Safe. crisis. Orange teeth can't top that.
0: <laughs> but <laughs> okay. they How
2: might. orange. Your teeth are
0: okay. Fine. We'll see you again well, next month. <laughs> <laughs> the only way is up for me. <laughs> Thanks so much. Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jack. No problem.
2: Thanks, Jack. Um, you'll me.
1: have to come back very soon. I'd love to. So, Jack, he was great. He was awesome. His knowledge is evident and I was just, you could feel his excitement and enthusiasm about that subject and birds and about beavers and about, yeah, the natural environment, which is fab. It's buzzing. So uh, three becomes
0: two. Uh, It's just me and you, Eva, once again. I want to put your knowledge to the test with a quiz. Oh, here we go. This is a new feature that we're going to do with the podcast where we're each going to quiz each other every other Episode,
1: <laughs> a little bit scared,
0: but you know, riding goes. high on my recent win, so yes. that's okay. Just make sure you're not looking at my questions here, <laughs> for the benefit of the listeners. Eva has not practiced this; she has no idea what questions I'm going to ask. This is a total blind quiz. So here we go. <laughs> Question one: What is Britain's longest river? And I'm going to give you some options. Oh, is it God? <laughs> uh, is it the Seven, The Avon? all the Thames, and a bonus point if you can tell me how long the longest
1: river is. I'm pretty sure I should know this. I think it's the seven, and I'm trying to remember how long it is. I think it's something like 200 kilometers.
0: Oh, okay. So miles. you've got you've definitely got one point because it is definitely the seven. You, uh, <laughs> you definitely should have known that. I should have. you've lived and a lot worked of work. on it yes. for about eight years. Exactly. <laughs> it's a nice warm-up question and it is not 200 kilometers it's 220 miles long
1: oh nice figure though i was near near very close good question
0: thank you uh question two which endangered tit is increasingly associated with beaver wetlands (laughs) question two which endangered tit is increasingly associated with beaver wetlands I'm going to give you it's some okay. options. Well, is it oh, I, Okay, oh, go on, go on. Do you want a blind guess or do you want options?
1: Well, I think it's either willow tit or marsh tit, but give me some options. Okay, well,
0: <laughs> the options are
1: great tit, willow tit, or coal tit. Oh, willow tit.
0: It. It's willow tit, it? yes. Well done. And awesome. question three this is a quick fire. You have to answer it as quickly as possible. Oh, God. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> Beavers
1: eat fish, true or false? false beavers don't
0: eat fish beavers are vegetarian (laughs) well done three out
1: yeah three out of three nice thanks so much they were you know pretty kind questions all in all i think so i'm really looking forward to popping you some questions next week (laughs) (laughs) well that's it for the first episode of the lodgecast by beaver trust however you're listening to this podcast don't forget to subscribe and leave us and the beavers a review
0: yes and thanks
1: so much again to jack baddams who was an amazing
0: first guest for us you can follow him and his forays into nature on instagram and twitter and if you want to hear more from me and eva please let us know what you think about the podcast on our social media you can find us on twitter facebook and instagram at beaver trust or visit our website beavertrust.org
1: the lodgecast was hosted by sophie pavel and eva bishop it was produced and edited by emma brisdian for beaver trust